Hello, everyone. This is the truth of the matter is. I'm your host, Daniel. Now I'm here with Jonathan. We're back for episode number 73. Speaking on behalf of myself and Jonathan, we would like to say we appreciate you for listening in today. Before we get started, let's give a round of applause to all who decided to tune in. This could be episode one in your book or episode 73 as a longtime listener. We thank you and hope that you continue to press play at your own convenience. So before we get started, I thought it would be interesting that we can begin this week's podcast with a question. But before we even get to this question, how are you, Daniel? How's your Sunday going? How's your week? Uh, it's been a rough Sunday. My Giants won, but I didn't win in my competitive match, so I'm a little I'm a little salty. But ready to continue to press forward so that we can continue to improve. What about you? Well, this is a safe space. What are you a little, what are you a little salty about? Let's not make this a therapy session. <laughs> well, gotta be honest with our audience. If something's bothering you, you know, let us know. It's not bothering me. I'm just salty about it. You know, there's a difference. You could be salty about something without being bothered by it, you know? If that makes sense. Okay. But you haven't told us yeah, what that's it pretty is. pretty much it. Eh. Something to discuss. Come on, you gotta open up. It only takes about 30 seconds to let it out. How's your Sunday? So we just gotta pretend like I didn't ask you a question. Come on. I answered your question. No, you did not elaborate on what was the issue. What's the problem? What are you salty about? Well, my choice. Okay. That's it. Because all we're going to do is going to waste time if you're not going to be honest. See, I know what the people care about. They want honesty. Right? The truth of the matter is... I I give them the honesty. I said there's nothing to talk about. All right. So one or two on a Richter sale, you know? You get over and you... Okay. Well, my Sunday's been interesting. Went out doing a bunch of airings for people that aren't me. But occasionally that's what it's called for. You have to assist others because you care about them and you want them to be content with whatever it is that they're trying to achieve. And sometimes I have to remind myself that the same, the same desire and mindset that I have about trying to get things accomplished I also have to keep in mind that there are other people around me who are incapable or lack desire to do those things and I think it's important that we have to also help them as well if we can so that's how my Sunday has been my team has won but obviously they're not looking as sharp as they could be it's still a win, but I'm looking further down the road, and I see that if we continue down this path of being content with mediocrity or mediocrity, then we're gonna get blasted, and I might be coming on this podcast not as happy in regards to my team winning. But other than that, my Sunday's been pretty okay, taking it as it is. 
you celebrate the wins and you hold the and you hold the L's on the losses. That's that's all we can really say. Yeah, um, I'll be content. I'll be content until next week. Let's see how things are going. Well, at least I have something to talk about. You know. Okay. So, <laughs> what's so funny? I'm gonna let it slide. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. See, you continue to let things slide. Kind of reminds me of the conversation last week. Sometimes you. You tend to address things, other things you leave it unsaid. So, what do we get with a question? And, you know, both of us can't answer this question. And we're going to do this before we obviously jump into prayer and then into our conversation for today. If you were to pass away today, Daniel, at midnight, what is one regret you have and what is one thing you'll be proud of? Mm, one regret? Hmm. One regret would be not winning today. Um, in terms of something to be proud of. Wait, not winning what? I'm proud of this podcast, you know. That's what I'm proud of. Well, what do you not proud winning? of the podcast and the consistency that we've been through? That's something to be proud of. Being able to talk with so many people, help my brother achieve his goals. That'll be that'll be the thing I'm proud of. What about you? But you made a statement. You said not winning today. What were you not winning? So, so we're just gonna continue to do this on podcast, huh? Well, because we need the truth of the matter is we need you to confess. We need you to open up. You already elaborated. You said that you didn't win today. So now the question becomes: What didn't you win? That's a, that's about it. That's what we have to say. It doesn't have to go any further than that. All right. I didn't uh, wonder, I'm dude. not going to waste it. my yeah, time anymore. Yeah, just leave it, it alone. If that's, if that's the attitude you're going to take, then we're going to leave it. <laughs> we're going to leave you with it. Okay. Perfect. What do I regret? Well, I suppose when you start walking this Christian life as a believer, you start to realize that there's certain requirements or expectations that you're supposed to have right in first john it talks about god you know him being light and if we claim to be in fellowship with him then we also have to be reflective of light right we walk into rooms we have to be reflective of that if there were any regrets i would say is in my beginning stages and i understand as a beginner you're trying to figure things out, but you're trying also to live the Christian difference. There were some conversations that I got into that I feel like I could have handled better. And as an instrument that God can use in operating in righteousness or being a vessel, I think that the way you handle things and the way you speak to people, you always have to be even killed because it opens the door. Or better dialogue it keeps confusion and chaos from happening and i will say if there are any things that i would regret looking back it's just handling things more maturely and not getting all out of whack or getting to a point where i'm ashamed of how i handle something and i understand that comes with maturity that comes with maturity that comes in time but that's something that I would say 
that I have regret because sometimes you lose friendships. Sometimes you lose a person where they couldn't opened up and you took the wrong approach and now they don't view the relationship that you guys have, you and this lady has, as a space where, you know, conversations can be had when there's no judgment involved and there's openness and there's support. So if there's anything I can regret as a Christian, and I've gotten this within my first year of being a believer, is just being able to handle situations and understand their actions or the person's actions and how they are communicating communicating things to you in those moments. Because when you do that, then you can sort of piece together your approach. And similar to what you said, one thing that I'm proud of is that we left the legacy behind, right? The Truth of the Matters podcast, being able to unpack God's word, viewing it from multiple multiple perspectives, having this opportunity to speak life into people all around the world, whether it's in the single digits or it's in the thousands, right? This, to me, is a platform and an opportunity that I don't take for granted, and I appreciate every moment that I get to spend and I appreciate all those that press play. And I feel like when I'm dead and gone, the legacy that's been left behind that sort of assist people and help people is on the table. Right. So that's one thing I am proud of. That was the mission to be able to assist people and point them to Jesus Christ. So anything else you want to add? Or sprinkle on top of anything I've said. Um, not really. I don't have anything to add on that one. That was that was interesting to hear, though. Yeah, I feel like as a believer, there's always room for improvement, and you're always trying to have the right attitude when dealing with people. Because just like her, frankly, say you might be the last Jesus a person sees. It's how you carry yourself, the way you treat people. The things that come out of your mouth, even in bad moments, you never know who's watching, who's listening, and who's, you know, judging you, right? I suppose the scripture in James where it says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry because anger is not the righteousness that God our Father desires. That is one verse that always sticks with me when I go outside and I'm dealing with people. So, yeah. All right. So let's jump right into prayer. We got quite a bit of things to get into. We're going to go deep today. And of course, anytime we're doing that, prayer is important and it's a necessity and it's essential. Okay. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for another day to be alive. Lord, you're a God who gives multiple chances. Lord, it is clear in 2 Peter 3 that the Lord, which is you, isn't really being slow about his promise, as some may think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to, do, to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. This is why we are informed in Romans 5 that where sin increased, grace abounds all the more, so that as sin reigned, and death, grace might also reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through you, Jesus Christ, 
So, Lord, we thank you for loving us even when we didn't love you back. For giving us chance after chance after chance. You thought of us since the beginning. You loved us so much that you gave us grace, mercy, and salvation. Therefore, we give you all the glory, honor, and praise because you deserve it. And it's who you are that we should have reverence for. Lord, we pray that after today's conversation, there will be encouraged individuals that will want to accept the gift that you are offering all of us, and that's everlasting life through your son, Jesus Christ. It is your promise that we have faith in. We know that you're not a God that you should lie. It is through this platform and many others that you continue to use and speak through. So let your will be done here on the Truth of the Matter as podcast. And all in agreement to say, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Okay, so as usual, before we get started, then you're more entitled to jump in at any moment to put your two cents in or add something in or break something down or view it from a different perspective. Want to encourage that, make it more of a dialogue conversation at any given point you're entitled to do that. So before we go into our text today, it's really important to unpack a few things so that when we read the patches for today, it would make much more sense. Now, I'm not saying that it wouldn't make sense if we checked it out now, but sometimes a review of the basics is good. Identifying what's foundational when it comes to the faith is important. Remember, with clarity comes greater understanding. So when it comes to being a follower of Christ, I will have to say that it starts off by believing that you need a Savior. Once you have acknowledged that, then making a decision to pick up your cross and follow Christ is a personal decision. But it begins with a choice. Wouldn't you agree, Daniel? Not really. Okay, why not? Because sometimes God can come find you. I think we've seen that in multiple personal testimonies and just people in general that say, well, I wasn't looking for the Lord, but he, he told me this was going to happen, and it happened. So I, I think it can go either way. But once he's fine, you still have to accept him and believe that that's who found you, is I guess what I'm saying, is that in the end, God reveals himself to you, but for some, that's not enough. For some, they are still battling and questioning what God revealed himself to them, right? That's why there are many gods, there are many lords. You have many people who feel that they've heard a voice or they've gotten a feeling, but it's usually not attached to a specific name. Some people are open to just mentioning that it was a God thing, right? There are individuals that write songs that express God, but they don't give the glory and honor to Jesus Christ. They mention God, and a lot of people stop right there, but I think it's essential, at least when it comes to the Bible, that there's a name, and Jesus Christ is the center of it. So I'm all for hearing people explain or elaborate that they feel that God is trying to communicate with them. But the question is, which God 
are they proclaiming to hear from? I guess that's the big issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I honestly believe that either you accept Jesus Christ in these moments or you deny him. Now, I believe you're not forced to accept Jesus. He does not put a gun to your head forcing you to accept him. You know, I think that's a matter of choice. Now, here's one thing I will acknowledge and I won't dismiss, right? From a historical perspective, there's been individuals who took it upon themselves to enslave Africans, forced them to believe in Jesus, Jesus and came up with these bizarre ideas. And one of them is that Jesus was white. And this is what I would call Western Christianity. And with that philosophy, along came the rewriting of scripture, the implementation of those scriptures, and the misinterpretation of those scriptures, thereby corrupting and mishandling the inspired word of God to control and and mislead people, which had dangerous implications. And to this day, there are still people who stay away from the gospel message, believing in the narrative that I've just explained, that I just told you about. And there are some that tend to lean more to culture and ancestor beliefs. Now, let's be clear, right? The decision to inflict pain and suffering, something me and Daniel talked about, on another, I'm telling you that I believe that God wouldn't approve of such behavior. For those who haven't picked this up yet, I'll tell you this right this now right jesus was an innocent man and therefore his willingness to be crucified is an example of non-violent behavior which we hear historically that gandhi and martin luther king get majority the credit for now that would be obviously a deeper conversation for another day but on the record i will stand by the idea that jesus is the author of a lot of ideologies and he doesn't seem to get the credit for it However, society seems to only see Jesus, right, as a religious figure. Now, if we really study the life he lived, I mean, really study it, we will learn that Jesus was a lot of things. And he was God in the flesh. And he walked this earth as the only perfect man. So this is something where we can look back and study Jesus and see that there's plenty of wisdom to unpack and apply as his disciples. So the reason why we'll talk about this is because the truth of the matter is podcasts, right? We encourage you to read God's word for yourself. Is because you will find that the gospel message is good news. And there is no favoritism from God. We are all children of God. Nothing should separate us from the love of God. Skin color, cultural background, male or female, genetics, right? The word of God destroys all social constructs. Therefore, we need to keep in mind that the gospel message was meant to be shared respectfully, not forcefully. If people have elected to go against that, well, they've really missed the whole point of free will. So we're going to begin by defining free will. And we're going over these things because it's essential to understand what the conversation is going to be about today. So. Daniel, what does free will mean? The power of acting without the constraint of necessity or faith and the ability to act at one's own discretion. So what's so beautiful about exercising a free will is that you have a choice to make. You could decide to believe whatever you want 
about the world. And that's what would be classified as free thinking. If you want to understand things better so that your decisions start to become more calculated, you could monitor your ideas and aspirations by having useful resources that influence you to encourage you to do better. That's called planning and managing. You could also assume things and guess what? That's the lowest level of knowledge that anyone can have access to. And I would say that's a bit risky. Not much stock into thinking like that. And I would call that ignorance. Now, the most important thing to remember is that you're in charge of how you receive and apply information. Right? The quality of your thinking determines the quality of your life. You are in charge of how things play out. Would you agree with that, Daniel, or disagree? I definitely think you're in charge of how things turn out to a certain extent. Some things or some situations are out of your control. But you can do things like control your attitude or how you're going to react to things. So you have some degree of control in every situation, even in hopeless ones. Okay, so today's episode is titled God's Providential Extension. So let's unpack a few things here for something to make sense, right? So. For something to be providential, it means two things. Daniel? It means that it's occurring at a favorable time and opportune time and involving divine foresight or intervention. So what do we know about God, right? We'll take a back seat and unpack what we know about God. Well, God is divine, meaning God is spirit. God is a supreme being. God answers to no one. Some of us have to answer to someone, give an account of our whereabouts. God answers to no one. What else do we know about God? Well, he's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, and he's present everywhere that you can think of. So nothing ever occurs to God. And as the old-timers would say, God is never late because he's always on time. So what makes God different is he's divine meaning God is the only one of his kind. God is a supreme being, and God is providential. As we look at the definition of one and two here, providential, we can conclude that God is timely, that God is intentional, that God is looking for ways to bless you and I. God has his hands in human affairs daily. God has his hands on human history for our benefit. Now let's unpack the word foresight. Daniel? Foresight is the ability to predict or the action of predicting what will happen or be needed in the future. So remember, God is all-knowing. Nothing, I mean nothing, will ever occur to God because he knows all things. Now let's define the word extension. Extension means an act or an Instance of extending, lengthening, stretching out, or enlarging the scope of something. So as believers, we exercise and subscribe to something called faith, right? And based upon faith, we believe that the earth was formed at God's command. So the question is, or the question has always been, where does God live? And I believe God lives in a place called everlasting, where time has no bounds. Remember, we are in a world where time ticks right? Doesn't stop. It waits for no one. 
Now, what makes God different is if he wanted to, he could stop time or even enter into it, right? There's plenty of scriptures that speak about that. And the reason why he could stop it or enter into it, because he lives outside of it, right? He's the first, in philosophical terms, the official mover, right? Now, the official mover argument, as I stated already, is a philosophical argument, right? So there's an argument also called the alphabet argument. So when you look at, I'm going to explain to you what the alphabet argument is. When you look at letters A to Z, you conclude that someone had to come up with the letter A, and then someone came up with the letter B because A doesn't exist unless the one who came up with it puts it there, right? And B doesn't exist unless the person there puts A and then comes B, right? And C doesn't exist unless the creator came up with A, then B, which follows C. And of course, D doesn't exist unless the creator comes and places A, then B, then C. So why am I saying all this? Well, today we are going to be talking about God's providential extension. Now, the question becomes, well, what did God extend? The short answer is he extended the gift of everlasting life to a situation that hinges on you're near your death or your deathbed. Now, before we go any deeper into explanation, let's start off with our passage for today. We're going to look at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. And we're going to read verses 32 through 43 in the English Standard Version. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they were crucified, him. And the criminals, one of his right and one of his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the ruler scoffed at him saying, he saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And if we indeed justly, for we are, receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. All right, great job, Daniel. So continuing from last week's conversation, Simon helped Jesus get to the place where he would be crucified, which is called Scold or Calvary. And the text mentions two criminals that were with him that would be suffering the same faith as Jesus. So they put Jesus in the center. And they put one criminal to the left and one criminal to the right. Now, here are the next words that come out of Jesus' mouth, which I find interesting, but also powerful. Daniel. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So what is Jesus doing here? Well, he's requesting grace and mercy to be given to those who brutally tore him apart physically. 
And of course he says, they do not know what they've done. So what are we to gain from understanding Jesus' intentions here? Well, we will unpack this slowly, right? Jesus is advocating for them as he speaks to the Father. Right? This is very powerful, and here's why. The word advocate has Latin roots, meaning one who pleads for another. So Jesus, the Savior, pleads for us using what? Understanding, justice, and mercy to the Father on our behalf. So let's go even deeper, right? Jesus is showing love for those who didn't love him back in this instance. How? Right? How could he do such a thing? Well, let's go to 1 John, and we've talked about this, but we're going to go even deeper. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 through 19. And we're going to look at this in the Amplified Version. Very important verse here, Daniel. There's no fear in love. Dread does not exist, but perfect, complete, full-grown love drives out fear. Because fear involves the expectation of divine punishment. So the one who is afraid of God's judgment is not perfected in love, has not grown into a sufficient understanding of God's love. We love because he first loved us. So interesting language here from the Amplified Virgin. So I looked into a few things to get clarity. The word dread means to anticipate with great apprehension or fear. The word apprehension means Anxiety or fear that something bad or unpleasant will happen. So here's what's interesting. When we go back to the Amplified Version in 1 John 4.18, the first sentence is clear. There is no fear in love. Dread does not exist. So Jesus was not fearful when it came to the crucifixion. Dread did not exist, meaning Jesus loved us so much that fear wasn't the issue. In the Gospel of John, I believe it's... Chapter 15, verse 13, Jesus said in the NLT that there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. So Jesus laying down his life for us is the greatest honor there is to show us how much he meant, how much we meant to him. Let's understand who gets included here, the disciples of the present and future, and his enemies or unbelievers of the present and the future. Okay, back to 1 John 4, 18. It says, but perfect, complete, full-grown love drives out fear because fear involves the expectation of divine punishment. So the one who is afraid of God's judgment is not perfected in love. Now, Jesus understood the punishment, right? He knew that the task would be tough and went through it. His love for us got him past the punishment. There's an interesting passage in the book of Hebrews. I believe it's Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6 in the Amplified Version. And this is what it says. For the Lord disciplines and corrects those whom he loves, and he punishes every son whom he receives and welcomes to his heart. Now that's just tough, right? That's just tough love for God. Now what isn't mentioned here is the punishment of sin. Why? Because Jesus took care of that, right? God poured out the punishment for sin upon Jesus. Let's go to Isaiah 53, 6. Daniel? We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Therefore, for those who accept Christ as Lord and Savior, the punishment for sin is no longer upon us. God no longer punishes us for sin because Jesus took that punishment. 
Now, I want us to touch on this a little bit more. Let's go back to finishing unpacking 1 John 4, 18 through 19. The rest of the text says this. So the one who is afraid of God's judgment is not perfected in love, has not grown into a sufficient understanding of God's love. We love because he loved us. So Jesus knew that God's judgment on the world was justified. This is why he laid down his life. Let's go to the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 14 through 18 in the English Standard Version. And listen carefully, audience. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So Jesus made the choice to die for humanity in order to redeem humanity. Now in Hebrews 2, 9, it's clear that Jesus was made lower than the angels for a little while. Now crowned it with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. So because Jesus loved us by sacrificing himself, we are called to do the same thing for one another, actually. In response and in reverence to God, we ought to love him back also. Right. That's what God is hoping for us to do and giving us the free will to do. Jesus gave us one command, and that was in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 34, and also the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 12, which is reiterated. And that was love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. So Jesus advocating for us while he is on the cross runs deep. We need to pay attention to that, right? We can't overlook that. So what happens next, Daniel? They cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by, watching. But the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one, the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. So interesting enough, there's a passage in the book of Psalms, chapter 22, verse 13 through 18 in the Standard Version, and it's prophetic to the crucifixion. Psalms is to believe to be written by David, Solomon, and a few others. I believe this part is foretold by David, though. So what does it say, Daniel? They open wide their mouths at me, like a raven and roaring lion, and I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot shred, and my tongue sticks to my jaw. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers circles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing, they cast lots. Very powerful. want to say very powerful prophetic statement there and 
it sort of feels like that's Jesus explaining what's happening to him through David as David writes about or you know foretells about what is happening to him in this moment. So let's finish up with Luke 23 verses 32 through 43. Daniel? One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the others rebuked him saying, Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, or for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So here's what's so powerful about this portion of scripture. Everything that was stated was true, right? Jesus is the Christ. You should fear God. The condemnation that the two thieves were under was justified. Jesus was an innocent man on the cross. And the thief that said, remember me when you go into your kingdom. And Jesus responded and said, today I say to you, you will be with me in paradise. Not a lie was told in that portion of scripture. Here's something about punishment. It's a tool to address five major things. Now, retribution, which is the vengeance or a wrong or criminal act. Retribution, which is a vengeance or wrong or criminal act. Deterrence, which is the action of discouraging an action of being repeated or practiced once or many more times. Rehabilitation, care that can help you get back, keep, or improve abilities that you need for daily life. Now, these abilities may be physical, mental, and or cognitive thinking and learning. You may have lost them because of a disease or injury or as a side effect from any medical treatment. Incapacitation reduces crime by literally preventing someone from committing crime in society through direct control during the incarceration experience. And restoration, part of the difficult process of behavior psychological change required to redeem the harm that is off, you know, offenders, criminal behavior has caused. The reason why I brought these up is because the usage of these tactics are needed under certain circumstances in order to bring about justice. It all depends on the crime that was performed and the detrimental effect that it's had on victims, on areas, families, etc. Now the second thief who rebuked the first thief did something that many of us may have overlooked. But what the first thief did was question Jesus and his status. Just like the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the religious people have been doing this whole entire time. Right? If you are the Christ, demonstrate your power for all of us to see. In other words, I will believe who you say you are if you do X. And that X can be 
taking yourself off the cross, destroying us, casting fire on us, etc., etc. Now, what's funny about this request is who wouldn't believe if they were able to see a miracle? Interesting enough, Jesus and his ministry performed many miracles. And yet you have Pharisees and Sadducees who didn't believe. As a matter of fact, Jesus talked about when he had the story with Lazarus and he was dealing with the rich king. And I remember at the time, the rich king said, maybe one who was brought back from dead could warn them. And that's what the whole gospel message is, right? The whole gospel message is hinged on the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you have those who still don't believe. Now, the purpose of faith is not seeing and still believing. There's a scripture that Jesus mentions to the disciples, and I think it's apropos here. And let's go there. It's, we're going to go to the Gospel of John, chapter 20. We're going to read verses 24 through 28 in the English Standard Version. Daniel? Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I believe it was also Paul who said, Those that believe in things, and I'm paraphrasing here, what is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. I'll say that again. What is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. I believe that's in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. So the second thief that rebuked the first thief has a realization, right? He was punished justly. And now all he should do is take his punishment like a man. However, he comes to realize that Jesus was innocent. And he uses this time to repent. Well, how do I know he does this? Well, he admits to wrongdoing. And immediately he places his faith in Jesus Christ. He doesn't question the capabilities of Jesus. Instead, he makes a request in prayer by telling Jesus, think of me. Right? Now, he doesn't say save me, but he says, think of me when you go to your kingdom. So the thief basically reminds Jesus, not as if Jesus needed reminding of where he was going, right? And that his request of remembrance is a powerful declaration of where he believes Jesus is going. Now, of course, Jesus accepts his prayer, and rightfully so, and he forgave him, just like that. You see, Jesus said one very important thing while he was on the earth. 
We're going to go, and it's in Matthew, Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9, verse 6. Jesus said it boldly. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So Jesus planted that seed because he was forgiving sins. And it was, it was this situation where Jesus told the man to get up and pick up your mat and go home. And the Pharisees and Sadducees were, you know, having a side conversation. And Jesus said, which is better? Your sins are forgiven or pick up your mat and go home. And in this instance, Jesus is making known that he has the ability to forgive sins. All right. Now. I can imagine that during this time on the cross. It happened so quickly. It happened so fast, right? The thief repented. Jesus forgave him. But when you really look at this and you study what this instance and situation is, I call it God's providential extension. And I believe God's providential extension was afforded to this young man, this thief. And we're going to expand upon that and unpack that a little bit more but it is in romans 10 verse 9 through 10 that is very clear and and we're going to look at this in the english standard version what does it say daniel that if you confess with your mouth jesus is lord and believe in your heart that god has raised him from the dead you will be saved 10 for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. You see, what we must remember is that as believers through Christ, we receive grace and mercy and salvation all through faith, right? This deliverance, this redemption from harm, from sin, its consequence when it includes death and separation from God was and has been addressed, right? Repentance and turning to God through faith, trusting in Christ that he will forgive your sin and set you on a path to life with him. We cannot earn. It's God's free gift to us. Grace is the power that God willfully gives us to help us do what we could never do on our own. Right? When God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Right? He was giving Paul his power to be set free from the thorn that was buffling him. Grace is spontaneously unmerited gift of the divine favor and salvation of sinners and a divine influence operating in a individual for their regeneration and sanctification. Right. In life, I believe this. There are three ways that you can be saved through your free will. When you are ready, you come to the throne of grace and you confess that you need a savior that you cannot do it alone. The second option is what we just went through, your deathbed. We can look at the, the scenario that happened on the cross as a scenario in which you're at your, your days are limited, your hours, your minutes are limited, and there's an opportunity where you can reflect on life and after after that reflection you can admit that you were wrong and that the time that you spent doing what you were doing 
could have been optimized better and therefore acknowledging Jesus Christ in that moment and believing. Remember, all it takes is a confession out of your mouth and a belief in your heart to save. Very simple. And the third option is during the rapture. Now, we haven't spoken much about the rapture because that's the revelations and might be some time before we really talk about that. Now, here's the catch, though, right? Listen closely. What you do on the free will is by coming to Christ on your own free will, it allows you to live your life out, right? Having a deposit, which is the Holy Spirit, as God blesses you and guides you and assists you on your journey. And obviously, just like Jesus, in this life, you will face tribulations, but be a good cheer, for God has overcome the world. Jesus said, I have overcome the world, but really God. But the point is, you're going to have your ups and downs, just like a roller coaster. You're going to have your peaks, you're going to have your valleys. However, the Holy Spirit, it's evidence, it's proof that your salvation is secured. That your place in heaven is secured. But there's still an expectation to live out the Christian difference. There's still an expectation to share the gospel. There's still an expectation to walk out the Christian lifestyle or the believer's lifestyle. Okay? The problem with the other two options is that there's no way of anticipating how you will die and when you will die. So, yes, there's an option of being saved. The issue is you don't know what it will take and how much time you'll have for repenting or the life that you've chosen to live. Right? Having a moment, a Jesus, a come to Jesus moment can happen at any moment in time. Sometimes, unfortunately, it happens in on drier circumstances, right? And we've all been there, made decisions, choices that we probably regret, which is why I asked Dan in the beginning about what do you regret, what are you proud of? Life is full of those things. Sometimes you learn that it was part of your processing. Now, I looked at this text. Let me say this, right? Uh, this is the last thing I'll say in regards to that. You see, I guess in life, when you start to have regrets about the way you've lived and you're trying to change a moment, you start to realize that some of the choices and things you can't take back, right? Some of the things are that you make that you might regret, you have to live through them. There's nothing you could do. There's no time getting back. I believe Jesus did this extended, this providential extension for everlasting life on your deathbed for people to capitalize on because there are rightful situations where it applies, right? There are going to be moments, and I think having this information allows you to share with other people, right? Those who don't believe in Jesus, those who don't care to believe in Jesus. The important thing about the gospel when you share it is that it opens the door to possibilities, which means that you may speak to Jim and Jim may find you to be a very kind and generous person. 
and he might ask you, well, why are you so kind and generous? And you might be, well, because God got a hold of me, changed my life, and I'm trying to live right. And you talk about Jesus all the time to Bill, right? And one day, maybe Bill starts to really hone in and listen to the things you say. And maybe there's an, a there's an accident that Bill goes through, car accident, and he's near his death. And he never believed in anything. However, he remembered every word that you said to him about Jesus. And in that moment, because you kept sharing Jesus to him, that's the last thing he thinks about. And guess what? If he believes, if he confesses out of his mouth and he believes that Jesus is Lord, he is saved. In that moment, he might have never listened or cared about it, living up to that moment. But in that moment, it's because of you, because of that seed you planted, right? One person what does another person plants? God gives the increase. God can use that as an opportunity where that person can still be saved on their deathbed. Right? That's just the beautiful thing about the gospel. You can either choose to live your life free will, choose Christ, live it out. And there's a potential where you probably don't. But there's a moment that presents itself and this episode could be used for you to share to somebody else and it might save somebody. You never know. Now, the issue or the circumstance and the occurrence when it comes to the rapture is we don't know what generation this is going to happen. About taking the mark of the beast and either getting your head cut off or having a mark of the beast. We don't know when that's going to happen, when that's going to present itself. So I'm just mentioning it as a third option because that's the next opportunity, right? Now, I look at this text and understand that Jesus forgave the thief. And I realized that Jesus, even near death, had compassion over those. And through this dialogue that he has with this thief on the cross, there will be people all over the world who will read this, see it, and it could be implemented and helpful. Now, they might willfully ignore Jesus, never care, but guess what? This conversation in Scripture, this dialogue, is God's compassion or opening or extending everlasting life to another option. And it's available. And I think this is important. And I think that is an, it's important to remember this and consider it. And always keep it there. Because you never know who's going to need it. You never know who you can share it with, who you can tell it with. And I always think it's important for you to be in someone else's life. Sharing the gospel when you can. Again, not forcefully, not physically but respectfully and gentle. And that's all I have to say. Is there anything you want to add, Mr. Daniel? No, I think that was um, insightful enough. A lot to digest. Okay. So with that being said, devotional time. Some of you may be asking, who's looking out for me? But in the book of Jeremiah, verse 10, Chapter 10, verse 23, it says, I know God, 
that mere mortals can't run their own lives, that men and women don't have what it takes to take charge of life. Humans are prone to wander and make mistakes and become defeated. As you know, I took my L today. Earth's first couple had very simple rules to follow. However, it is seen very easy for them to believe that God was holding all the best for himself and that following him wasn't in their best interest. You're probably no different. You may feel God doesn't really understand you. You may believe he will withhold something you want. God designed you to embrace his plan and purpose. Because of sin, you're naturally bent to look out for yourself. You can be convinced that things, fame, and money provide a path to the satisfaction you want, but they don't. Instead, their self-centered pursuit of the things pulls you away from God. The only one who can truly satisfy you is God himself. A self-focused lifestyle often leads to misunderstanding, to misapplication of what you learn, and to misguided trips to places God has marked keep out so when everybody's telling you oh uh disappear and, and work on yourself and come back and end you don't want to do that that's that's not what is in your best interest it's you being self-serving in nature it's important to put not yourself first but to put god first and understand this. in what parts of life have you been only looking out for yourself so that's something to think about but here's a small prayer that may be able to change this way of thinking. We want to say to God, Lord, help me to trust you, to be convinced that you're not withholding anything from me, but will work out your plan in my life in due time. Very simple, but we hope it's effective. In your holy name we say, Amen. Amen.